Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On a sweltering hot summer day in Georgia, a young couple finds themselves thrust into their worst nightmare. The emergency calls were pretty gripping. A lot of different things go through your mind when you hear a child down. The initial reaction was a shock in the community, how this poor father accidentally left his child in the car. This case became a huge national media story. Cooper Harris died from hyperthermia, a death that became a national tragedy, then a worldwide horror story. Was this just a terrible tragedy? Or was the hot weather used to commit cold-blooded murder? Weather can have a huge impact on a criminal investigation, both favorably and unfavorably. The heat in this case was more brutal and powerful than any gun. Just north of Atlanta in Cobb County, Georgia, lies the city of Marietta, the perfect bedroom community. It gives you the best of both worlds. You've got the city and you've got urban type living, but then also you've got a smaller, closer knit community than you might have in Atlanta. Cobb County is really a community for families. There's entertainment venues, great restaurants, great things to do. It's just a really great place to live, shop, work, and just live your life. The area experiences all four seasons, but the summers can be harsh. They don't call it Hotlanta for nothing down here. <laughs> Atlanta is extremely hot in the summers. Marietta and Cobb County can get really hot. The summer season lasts a pretty long time, anywhere from March to say September or October. It's hot and it's muggy because of the humidity. Humidity is the amount of water vapor in the air. We sweat to keep cool and maintain a healthy temperature. If the air is at 100% relative humidity, there's so much moisture in the atmosphere that your sweat cannot evaporate off of your body, and therefore you feel a lot hotter than the actual temperature. And the higher the dew point, the muggier it will be. When you hear a weather forecaster say it's 85 degrees outside, but it feels like 92, that 92 is a combination of the heat and humidity, also known as the heat index. It's not uncommon to see people walking around dabbing their foreheads and things like that when it gets a little hot. Um, and that's as much a product of temperature as it is the humidity that you come to expect down here. People that aren't familiar with Georgia, they often comment that, well, your heat feels different here because it's a humid kind of heat versus a dry kind of heat. So it can be very oppressive here, especially if you're not used to that type of heat. And in June of 2014, Cobb County was experiencing the beginning of another typically hot summer, one they'll never forget. A 
Around 4.20 p.m., the Comp County Police get several alarming 911 calls from residents in the parking lot of Acres Mill Square. The emergency calls that came in were pretty uh, gripping. They were describing how the child looked lifeless and basically the condition of the child and, and what was going on at that time, kind of the panic surrounding that time. Tell me exactly what happened. The guy pulled in the parking lot and he, uh, the baby's not breathing, it doesn't look like. The callers are saying they see a man in a parking lot at Acres Mill Square screaming and hyperventilating over a toddler. Police are immediately dispatched and reach the parking lot within minutes. When police responded to the scene, they were immediately fixated on the child. When they saw this child laying out on the hot uh, pavement, they were shocked. You know, it's 91 degrees that day. They quickly learned the child is Cooper Harris, just 22 months old. Nearby is his father, Ross, who's hysterical. Oh my God, what have I done? Cooper Mills Harris was born on August 2nd, 2012 to Leanna and Justin Ross Harris. Cooper was an only child. He was being raised by his father and mother. They lived in the Marietta area. He was a beautiful baby boy who was just the apple of their eye and the center of their world. Ross and Leanna met in 1994 in Tuscaloosa, Alabama as teenagers. I think friends had introduced them. They'd been set up together uh, to go out on a date. After their first date, Ross told one of his best friends that he was going to marry Leanna. Although it took five years, Ross was right, and the two wed May 7, 2006. Leanna began a career in the medical field, while Ross took a job with the Tuscaloosa Police Department. He had worked with the police. He had been a dispatcher for some time in Alabama. Then in 2009, Ross decided to quit and go back to school. He enrolled at the University of Alabama. He was in information technologies, worked with computers, that type of thing. In February 2011, the young couple decided they were ready to be parents and tried to conceive a child, but had a difficult time. It wasn't until nine months later when they finally succeeded. So you can imagine how thrilled they were when they discovered in November of 2011 that they were pregnant with a baby boy who they named Cooper. Just before Cooper's birth in May of 2012, Ross graduated college. He obtained his bachelor's degree in commerce and business administration. This was also a way for him to further his career and get a better paying job to provide for his growing family. And Ross found that job 200 miles away in Atlanta, Georgia, as a web developer for the Home Depot Corporation. They moved three hours east to Marietta, Georgia, while Leanna settled into her job as a dietitian. Three months later, baby Cooper was born. They were raising him in an apartment uh, in Cobb County, not far from uh, where Ross Harris worked. Leanna was a natural at motherhood, and Ross was a proud father. He bragged on Cooper every chance he got. He was always snapping photos, telling everybody how happy he was to have his baby boy. So he was a very involved, excellent father. 
Cooper was a healthy child. He uh, went to daycare on, on days that um, mom and dad worked, and um, by all accounts, a vivacious young kid. Loved to interact with other children and was living a fairly uh, normal life. To everyone who knew them, they seemed like the perfect family. Until tragedy struck on a scalding summer day in June 2014. While the hot sun sears through the afternoon sky, Cobb County police are in a parking lot in Acres Mill Square, rushing to the aid of little Cooper Harris as his dad stands by helpless. They immediately begin life-saving measures on the boy. We had a lot of questions from our responding officers' perspectives about what was going on and how we got to this state. As authorities work to save Cooper's life, Georgia's heat is about to play a significant role in a case that rocked the nation. This was an unusual case uh, to have weather play such an important factor in what happened. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. In Atlanta, Georgia, Cobb County police and medical crews are trying to save the life of 22-month-old Cooper Harris, who is lying motionless on the hot pavement. The high that day was 91 degrees with the humidity at 75%. That means it would feel like it's around 112 degrees, some 20 degrees hotter. After several agonizing attempts to save the child's life, police realized there's nothing more they can do. It was obvious to both the layperson and the police who arrived, uh, the child w was deceased. Police then turned their attention to the boy's father, 33-year-old Ross Harris, and noticed his behavior is strange. Ross is at the scene, on the telephone, pacing back and forth and crying intermittently. He is hysterical. He was non-compliant with the police. When they asked him to get off the phone, he actually cursed at one of the responding officers. Ross puts up his finger as if to say, hold on a second. The police then order him to get off the phone. He explodes. Hold on. Shut the up. That's when police remove the phone from Ross and handcuff him. They don't know what's going on. They know they have this child who is deceased. They have father pacing and yelling. He was almost actively obstructing their ability to figure out what was going on, and that was extremely suspicious. The police place him in the back of a police cruiser and drive him 100 feet away from Cooper's body. In the back of the car, Ross's behavior is even more bizarre to the officers. Once he was handcuffed, his attitude and his, his demeanor completely changed and went from 
screaming, intermittent yelling, to basically giving a story to explain what had happened. He says he forgot to take his son Cooper to daycare and must have left him in the hot car all day while he was at work. With the temperatures and humidity being as high as they were, there's no way that a small child could survive in a hot car like that all day long. He was saying, what have I done? I've killed my son. But he didn't appear to be crying. He didn't really appear to be upset. He is asking the police to turn the air conditioning on because he was too hot in the back of the car. This is within minutes of pulling his deceased child out of a car. Although everyone reacts differently to a tragic event such as this, police equate his behavior to a bad acting job. Admittedly, people deal with intense situations differently. The way he was acting did not appear to be normal for a grieving parent. Meanwhile, the emergency crew removes Cooper's body from the scene for an autopsy. As detectives and members of the crime scene unit arrive to investigate in the sweltering temperatures. Heat was a big impact on us. Hydration was key while they were out there. You know, just doing what they needed to do to properly document and preserve this crime scene, which was that vehicle, so that we can adequately put our best foot forward. Inside the small SUV, they notice Cooper's rear-facing car seat with its headrest directly between the two front seats and only six inches from the driver's seat. So it was extremely noticeable to anyone that peeked their head in, sort of like, how do you miss that car seat? It's right there, almost at shoulder, shoulder level. There's no way you could miss that child sitting right beside him, getting out of the car or getting in. They also notice a pungent odor coming from inside the car. They could smell it was foul, you know, just a, a smell that struck them immediately. It's not necessarily decomposition. In this case, um, you had a child that had been sweating and, so, you know, uh, urinating in the diaper. Those of us who know what it's like on a hot summer day, when you open that car door and you get that wafting of hot air that comes out and the odor of anything at all that has been in that car. How could somebody be driving around and, and not notice this, this uh, odor that was emanating from the vehicle? Officers then take statements from the witnesses and they all describe the same peculiar scene. They say that Ross Harris pulled into the parking lot hysterically, jumping out of his car, screaming about his boy. That attracted a crowd. A couple people ran over to see if they could help. It put this child on hot pavement, even though there was a grassy area right there. And as witnesses described, played around a little bit, looked like he was messing with the child, not really doing CPR, but then got up and walked away from him. He started screaming, started making a show. He was on his cell phone. They reported that it looked very bizarre, almost like he was acting. It all seemed very forced and maybe even a little rehearsed. A number of the witnesses noted the child was obviously deceased. They could tell even though they tried to perform first aid. To find out exactly what happened, police take Ross to the station for questioning and get hold of Cooper's mom, Leanna. She went to the daycare location looking for, for Cooper. The police arrived at the daycare and informed her uh, of what had happened. Obviously, the, her reaction was one of shock. Police bring her in for an interview as well. Detectives question Cooper's parents and come away with even more suspicions. Did you take him out? No, I didn't call him the events of the Could this be a tragic accident or something more diabolical? The detectives at this point, they don't know what they have. 
Anytime you have a child who dies, it's, it's horrific and tragic and people want answers. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. On June 18, 2014, in Cobb County, Georgia, detectives bring in Ross Harris and his wife, Leanna, for questioning after Ross left his toddler son, Cooper, in a car during a scorching summer day, causing his death. We wanted to try to get a, a timeline. His behavior, the words that were coming out of his mouth were so bizarre. the station, police question Ross first. He seemed a little distraught at first, but then was able to coherently give us a story of what had happened that day. Ross says that he works at the Home Depot Corporation in Atlanta and was supposed to drop Cooper off at daycare on his way there. He stopped by a Chick-fil-A, uh, very near where his work was. Ross says they ate breakfast, and then around 8.55 a.m., they left, and he put Cooper in his car seat. And his claim was that he forgot that he was in the back seat and that he went to work instead. He tells detectives it was a normal workday. Then around 11.30, he had lunch with some co-workers. They picked him up from work and they drove to lunch. And once they were finished with lunch, they dropped him back off at work. And that Cooper remained in the car the entire day until he realized leaving work around 4.20 that um, um, he was still in the back of the car. And that's when he pulled in the Acres Square uh, parking lot area and, and jumped out of his car. Throughout the questioning, detectives noticed that Ross is unusually calm. He didn't appear to show a lot of remorse for the loss of his child. And some of the things Ross said next raised a few red flags with investigators. He mentioned, for example, um, that this was one of his greatest fears. He talked about having actually watched a video of a veterinarian talking about how hot it has to get in a car and how an animal might die in a, a hot car. That really struck the police as something out of the ordinary. Accident or not, at 10 p.m., 
detectives charge Ross with cruelty to children until further investigation. At a minimum, there was negligence involved. They knew he was responsible for this child's death. Police question his wife, Leanna, next, and she says that Ross has been a great husband and father. She said they had some problems, but not anything out of the ordinary. Police allow the couple to see each other and find their interactions strangely suspicious also. Most of his complaints were about what was going to happen to him. Ross then tells Leanna that the police are charging him with child cruelty. And it's Leanna's reaction that is the surprising one. These are very suspicious things from a law enforcement investigator's perspective. Investigators decide to dig deeper into the couple. And the medical examiner confirms that Cooper died from hyperthermia. Hypothermia or heat stroke can occur when your body temperature is above 104 degrees. The typical healthy human body can only withstand a deviation of temperature of about seven degrees upwards or downwards before it becomes fatal. Babies and small children have a higher risk for dehydration. The smaller the child, the harder it is for them to regulate their body temperature. Once the body temperature reaches 104 degrees, the major organs begin to shut down. But he was in there and in, in dying a slow death as the temperatures just climbed throughout the day. Really just very heartbreaking to think about. Unfortunately, because of the weather, the medical examiner can't determine the exact time of death. It really depends on the temperature in the car that day and when Cooper's body reached 104. The medical examiner rules Cooper's death undetermined until further investigation. Detectives uncover more evidence that puts Ross under the microscope. You can only reach the conclusion that he was lying. And a weather analysis shows police exactly what the temperatures were inside the vehicle the day Cooper died. And we're astounded to see how hot it got inside that vehicle throughout the day. A lot of people talk about the heat when they talk about coming to Georgia. It's definitely a very uh, humid kind of feeling, like you're walking around in soup sometimes. In June 2014, Cobb County, Georgia police are investigating the suspicious death of 22-month-old Cooper Harris after his father, Ross, left him in his SUV for seven hours in the blazing summer heat. Police officers are really curious as to why both Leanna and Ross are acting so oddly in the face of just having lost their son. They realized there was something more going on here. This didn't appear to be an accidental death. Meanwhile, the case blows up in the media. He was screaming, what have I done? What have I done? Witnesses still reeling from what they saw. With accidents like this happening all over the country, there was an immediate public outcry. 
We have this epidemic of this type of thing happening nationwide. Many children who are accidentally left in the back of the car. The initial reaction was a shock in the community, sort of questions about how this uh, poor father could be charged after he accidentally left his child in the car. To find out more about the couple, detectives get a search warrant for Ross and Leanna's home. They went in to just try to locate, see the living conditions to confirm the child was well taken care of, well nourished. They seemed to, you know, have a decent home life. They confiscate Ross's at-home computer as well as his work computer to find out what he's been up to. They also get warrants for both of their cell phones. They do a digital extraction is what we call it of cell phones and electronic devices, which just takes time. It's not a, a fast process. For the next week, investigators speak with family, friends and co-workers of the Harrises. We wanted to learn more about Cooper. We want to learn more about his parents. What was really going on with them behind the scenes? None of their friends or family said anything negative about their relationship. Basically, they had a great relationship. It was very strong. They spent a lot of family time together. They went to church regularly. By all accounts, the family seemed very happy and the marriage seemed intact. Nobody had any major incidents to report that would be alarming to the investigators. Police also checked Ross's story for the day Cooper died by gathering surveillance video from everywhere he went and questioning those he had contact with. And for the most part, it seems to check out. The path that he took was accurate. We were able to go back and track that from video leaving the Chick-fil-A, from video from the parking lot of his workplace, him pulling in. But after reviewing everything carefully, a few things stand out to detectives. He typically went through the drive-thru, but on this particular day, he brought Cooper into the restaurant. We know from looking at the surveillance footage, Ross made a big deal of showing off Cooper to the general manager of the Chick-fil-A. He made a point to show the employees that he was a good father, that he interacted with his child, that he took him to Chick-fil-A for breakfast. This distance between the Chick-fil-A and where he ended up in parked is a matter of minutes. Cooper really couldn't have fallen asleep in that short period of time. Then in the video from his office parking lot, they see Ross pull into a parking space around 9.30 a.m. He had actually gone past that parking space, stopped, backed up and turned, and then pulled into this. He would have had to turn to his right to back up, and his child would have been right there in his face. He did not have a backing camera in that car. They watch as he sits in the car for 30 seconds. He turned to his right and grabbed his Chick-fil-A, to his right and grabbed where his child is. After that time, he actually gets out, closes the door, and walks away. He plans lunch with his friends, and he says, I'll go, but I'm not going to drive. And he rides to get lunch and stops to buy light bulbs. Then, shockingly, they see on the video that they actually dropped him off at his SUV, something he failed to tell police. He omitted actually going back to his car. so. During his interview, he never mentioned that. In the video, he still seemed oblivious that Cooper was inside as he dropped off the package of light bulbs. Waited till his friends drove past and then he walked up to the car door. Driver's side door he opens and throws the light bulbs. And you can see the packaging going across into the uh, passenger side. He would have had vision of the car seat. 
and so immediately closes the door and, and walks away. Then at 4.20, the video shows him leave work and get into his SUV. The wheels of his vehicle start to move within seconds of him getting into the car, and he's on the road with his dead child in the car. The smell of death must have consumed the cabin. But he drives for over a mile before he stops and pulls over. To detectives, it all seems extremely suspicious. Giving all these opportunities he had to remember the child and all these different things based upon his story he'd given at that time really struck police. These things in isolation, we know, don't necessarily mean that someone has committed a crime. But when we start piecing them together, we see that they fit a picture of someone who was doing things that were out of character. You can only reach the conclusion that he was lying. He knew exactly what he had done. But why? As results from the digital extraction of Ross and Leanna's cell phones and computers start to come in, authorities decide to conduct an unusual test about the weather. Heat was a very significant factor for this investigation. That was basically what caused Cooper's death. This was a case of hyperthermia. So um, it became really important not just to know the exterior temperature. We were very eager to know more about the temperature changes in the inside of this vehicle. What we did is we tried to recreate the conditions as best we were able. Um, so we took the actual vehicle itself out to um, the Home Depot parking lot. We actually took steps to hire an independent expert to come out and conduct heat testing. They place a similar car seat in the vehicle just as Cooper's was and attach several heat sensors near it. And they actually noted what the temperature changes were outside the vehicle as well as inside. We were pretty shocked and astounded to see how hot it got inside that vehicle throughout the day. By 11 o'clock, the temperature inside already matched up with the temperature on the exterior of the vehicle at 88 degrees. By 1.15, the temperature reached 91 degrees. And on a day like that, it wouldn't take long for a car to become deadly. What happens is all that heat energy that goes into the car actually gets trapped inside the car. So even though at noon, the outside temperature is 86, with all that warmth inside the car, after just 10 minutes, it's 105 inside. After 30 minutes, it's 120 degrees. And of course, that could be tough to survive. But the highest interior temperature during the study occurs around two hours later. By 3.30 in the afternoon, the car seat that held Cooper Harris reached temperatures of 125 degrees. Because of direct sunlight, because of the lack of airflow going through the vehicle, all of those things contributed to a significant heat increase throughout the day in the vehicle. The reason this occurs is because of something called the greenhouse effect. When the shortwave energy from the sun passes through the windows of the car, it heats up all the surfaces, from the dashboard, to the steering wheel, to the seats, to the floor mats. The heat from the surfaces produces long-wave infrared radiation. So the short-wave radiation comes from the sun, goes through the glass, heats up everything in the car. Then the long-wave radiation that's trying to get back out the glass can't do it, and so it stays in the car and heats it all up. You can literally feel like you're baking in an oven um, as the heat pours into your vehicle. Around that same time, detectives are combing through the results from Ross and Leanna's cell phones and computers. 
They find nothing that would implicate Leanna in the death of Cooper Harris whatsoever. However, it's her husband that is a totally different story. What we found was pretty astounding. On his cell phone, they find numerous texts to multiple women that had been ongoing for months all about sex. He was having uh, repeated sexual encounters and illicit affairs with um, people outside of his marriage. Is Ross a grieving father who will forever live with the mistake he made, or a killer leading a double life who wielded the weather as a weapon? In a case like this, we have to look at who is Justin Ross Harris? Is he the kind of person that could kill his own child? Comp County, Georgia detectives investigating the death of toddler Cooper Harris, who was left in a hot car by his father, Ross Harris, have uncovered sexually explicit texts Ross has been exchanging with multiple women. He was living a completely different life. As detectives spend the next couple of months digging deeper into Ross's secret life, they uncover even more shocking evidence that Cooper's dad isn't who he appeared to be. We were able to confirm and find a prostitute that he had actually paid for an underage girl of 15 years of age where he was sending pictures of his anatomy and having her send pictures of herself to him. Um, all of these things occurring and escalating in the weeks leading up to it. He was a sexually deviant, uh, very deceptive and devious person. He had some type of addiction to pornography. Some of his sexting even occurred on the day he left his son in the car. Throughout the day, as his son sat in that hot car, dying that horrific death, Ross Harris was inside communicating with women who were not his wife in a sexual manner. He had been sending uh, nude photos back and forth with a number of women, even on the day uh, of Cooper's death, at least six women. On his computers, they also find suspicious searches like how to survive in prison. And he viewed articles about living child free. They also find the video he watched about hot car deaths. Not only had he viewed that video, he viewed it five days before Cooper's murder. This was a game changer for us. This is where you go from a negligent homicide to all of a sudden you have a malicious homicide. Police believe this could be Ross's motive. It seemed Ross Harris wanted a child free lifestyle and that this could have potentially been his way out. The motivation to be without a child, without a family, so that he can go off and, and live this life with these other women. We explored the possibility, was this something that just caused him to be so distracted that he you know, forgot about his son in the car? But everything we found, we were like, no, this is an intentional homicide. And he used the weather to do it for him. The weather was the mechanism of death. So it plays a vital role in this case. He caused this hyperthermia. He did it intentionally, uh, and he did it for the most selfish of reasons. Investigators trying to question Leanna again to see if she knew about Ross's infidelities. She declined and asked that they talk to uh, Ross's attorney. But it doesn't matter. On Thursday, September 4th, 2014, a Comp County grand jury indicts her husband for the murder of their son. 
We also charged him at that time with not only the homicide charges, but the charges of uh, sexting with underage girls. He faces eight charges altogether, including malice murder, felony murder, cruelty to children, and dissemination of harmful material to minors. Ross Harris pleads not guilty. Then just prior to the trial, more evidence is found on Ross's cell phone. It was only after a secondary extraction when we updated the device that we were able to find some hidden apps that he had on his phone. We found scores more, dozens more women that he had been messaging, 30 women on the day of the child's death. And one of the apps shows a conversation that Ross had with an anonymous woman. Precise words are, I miss having time to myself and going out with friends. I love my son, but we both need escapes. And that was 10 minutes before he locked that child in the car to die. That was going to be a tough hurdle for the defense to overcome. The case makes national headlines, so the judge decides to move the trial to another county. Everything that we had put in place with all of our witnesses and preparing for the trial in Cobb County had to be moved to Brunswick. So there was an enormous amount of preparation of getting everything to a new location, coordinating all the efforts of that case to get it to uh, several hundred miles away for trial. It's a large undertaking. As Ross's trial gets underway, will jurors see a sex-crazed man who killed his son to be free? or an absent-minded father who made the worst mistake of his life. Well, having to convince 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that a father murdered his son in this horrific way is the biggest challenge that we had to overcome. The evidence is gonna show you during this trial that Ross loved that little boy more than anything. Cooper's death was an accident. It was always an accident. The hot and humid weather in Atlanta, Georgia in June 2014 sadly killed 22-month-old Cooper Harris. In this unfortunate case, the weather played a huge role in potentially um, not allowing Cooper to be saved like he might have been under better weather conditions. Without the temperatures soaring what they did, Cooper would not have died that day. His father, Ross Harris, now stands accused of purposely leaving him in the hot car to die and using the heat as his murder weapon. This was a malicious killing, which is why we saw the highest form of murder in this indictment, malice murder, which is the deliberate intention of taking uh, Cooper's life. And the mechanism that he used here happened to be a hot car. In April 2015, Ross's trial begins. Prosecutors portray him as a porn-obsessed would-be playboy seeking his freedom. It was deliberate, it was motivated by sexual deviancy, and it was carried out because Ross wanted to live a life free of Cooper. They present an enormous amount of evidence, including all the surveillance video from the day Cooper died. It wasn't just one thing here. It wasn't just one thing there. We wanted to give them the entire picture the number of different ways in which this defendant was shown to have done this intentionally. Prosecutors claimed that Ross was obsessed with his other life and his sexual deviant behavior. All of these things occurring and escalating in the weeks leading up to it, this had now become the most important thing to him. 
We wanted the jury to fully understand the actual circumstances of this death and how um, Cooper suffered. Not some distraught father. This was somebody who knew exactly what he had done and was trying to get out of it. They say Ross studied how long it would take his son to die inside a hot car. Closed the door on Cooper's life and left him to suffer an unimaginable, horrible death that just five days before he watched a video about. The state claims that Ross didn't think anyone would question that it was an accident since it happened so often, which is why he didn't cover his tracks very well. Looking at what was going on in our country during that time with such a high number of deaths, and unfortunately, it continues to this day. Many, many children who are accidentally left in the back of the car for Ross to try to capitalize on those real accidents of the other families that are forgetting their children in the car was especially disturbing. I don't think he ever thought the police were going to catch on to what he was doing. I really thought he had planned this and was going to get away with it. They call a total of 51 witnesses over 15 days, including the thermal test and heat transfer scientist who conducted the heat study inside Harris's car. And he showed exactly how the temperature had risen well above 100 degrees by 1 p.m. and Cooper was in there for three more hours. And what time of day was that when it reached 125 degrees? Uh, this would have been, again, going down approximately 3.30. But Harris's defense argues that this was an accident and nothing more. Cooper's death was an accident. It was always an accident. This was a, a horrible thing that went wrong and that um, while Ross Harris may have strayed outside of his marriage, that that didn't make him a murderer. Although she divorced Ross before the trial, Cooper's mother, Leanna, testifies on Ross's behalf. She testified that he was a good father to, to Cooper, um, but she had to acknowledge that she, even she, living in the same house, sleeping in the same bed with this man, she had an idea that he was into some dark things, but no idea of the level that he was at. You had no idea how his behaviors were escalating over the years, correct, as far as what he was doing with other people and things like that. You, you had no idea, correct? I, I had no idea. I did not know. Even some of Ross's family and friends stood by his side. Family members were trying their hardest to believe that Ross didn't intentionally do this. But the jury doesn't see it that way. And on November 14th, 2016, they reach a verdict. We, the jury, find this follows count one and Alice murder. As count one, we find the defendant guilty. Ross Harris is convicted on all charges and sentenced to life in prison with no parole. This was a person who took the most selfish way uh, possible of taking another human being's life, and not just any person's life that he took. He took his own child's life and did so because he was nothing but a selfish human being. Cooper's case has been shocking and traumatic for all who were touched by it. It was such a horrible crime that it really weighed on everyone involved for a long time. And I think it still does. It's something that you carry with you. It's a very tragic case where nobody wins. It is um, something traumatic for the community in general, and especially the Harris family. With the hot summer weather playing such a significant role in the investigation, 
many are hopeful the case might prevent future tragedies. Weather was such a significant factor to how we proved exactly what happened here. I don't know that we'll ever have another case like this. Certainly hope not. You have to look for the silver linings, the bringing of the awareness that these things happen so that people in the community may not turn a blind eye to it and ignore it.